This episode is brought to you by Buyers Agency Australia. There was nothing really that I didn't think that I could do. Like I wanted to leave home, so I left. I wanted to go to the US, so I did. I wanted to work in nightclubs, so I did. I wanted to, you know, model, so I did. And it was just kind of like I'd make the decision and then I'd figure out how to do it. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Ludwina Dogovic, founder of The Room Exchange. We'll talk about the incredible twists and turns of her storied life, taking her from country New South Wales to New York City, plus how she's managed to be her own boss for nearly 30 years and filling a gap to solve the Australian housing crisis. Dokovic has already had some career. She's worked around the world in nightclubs, founded multiple companies, worked in TV production and hosted a record-breaking podcast. Her latest endeavor, The Room Exchange, was created to solve the problem of Australia's housing crisis. There's over 13.5 million unused spare rooms in 10 million homes across the country. It's Australia's first verified house sharing platform and is already a multi-award winning company as an Australian Small Business Award finalist in 2019. Unsurprisingly, Tokovic's typical day is never the same. We're still at the moment, because of post-COVID, we lost a couple of years in COVID. So if you imagine no one's opening up their front doors to house share at that time. So we've in a way had to go back to sort of like the starting phase, but not the start, not the startup phase, if that makes sense. So um, we had to rebuild the data, rebuild the brand and make it you know more compatible with what's happening now. So there's still a bit of having to do the mundane every day-to-day things of, you know, marketing and social to you know, then having to make business decisions about, well, you know, finances and targets and data and, you know, all the things that go along with having shareholders and, um, you know, all the challenges that you have as a, a leader and a CEO. But when you still have a pretty small team where, you know, we've all sort of got a few multi-layers in terms of what we do. But I would say that generally there's at least a couple of interviews a week I get a lot of media, which has been wonderful. But you know, we're we've come at a time where something like the room exchange is really needed because we're in a rental crisis. So there's a lot of conversations that I'm having around that. I have my own podcast show as well, so interviewing there. So there's usually about three or four interviews a week, all up, um, communicating with um, my advisors, and you know, um, I, I'm talking a lot with government at the moment. We've um, got some made some major inroads with the. Um, uh, Treasurer of Victoria and uh, various different aspects of government to put submissions in next year for the um, budget to, you know, get some regional areas piloted as in specific um, geographical test ranges for the room exchange. That's been great. A lot of networking, well, at least one networking event a week I like to get out. I do a lot of um, networking on LinkedIn too. I have to say I think I've pretty well nailed that one. Um, but there is a key to it. And anyone who's listening, if you're just sending out cold messages and you expect me to respond, it's not going to happen. You know, you've got to have a bit of, bit of love, bit of connection, bit of care around it. Um, and if you do that well, then that comes out. So it's a, it's a cross-section of things, but I'm very regimented in my day. Like I know from the start of my day exactly what I'm going to be doing that day, but also the big things that I want to accomplish 
through the week and I'm very calendar driven. So if there's something where I need a chunk of time to put a document or proposal together, there's two hours that actually get wiped out in my calendar. So no one can come in and book a call and take my time from me. So, um, and I'm also very aware of when I'm at my most alert and when I'm not. And so I, um, I categorize my activities throughout the day, depending on that. And a couple of days I go into Footscray. I've, I've now got an office in there that I can go to a couple of days a week at the cotton mills, which is amazing. So it just gets me out of the house. Um, but most, but mostly I work from home because I do like the convenience of it. And I've always done it. And I manage the separation of home and business very well. Um, so I don't find it, you know, a, um, a difficult thing to do, but I do like to get out sometimes as well. It's, it's good for my mind. As busy and varied as Dukovic's days are now, her road to get there is just as unique. So I grew up in a little country town um, in New South Wales, little as in 500 people, like really little. <laughs> it's an interesting upbringing. I, um, my brother and I were the only coloured kids in town. And I say that because that's how we were referred to and plus a whole lot of other things. Um, so my upbringing in this very small town with, I've been talking a lot about it this week, so I've actually been reflecting a lot on it. It was a very unusual upbringing. Um, yeah, I wasn't raised with my Indian culture. Um, wonderful mother and wonderful stepfather, but both white parents and, um, you know, my brother Tony and I. And it was just kind of like a, it was an upbringing where, you know, parents did the best that they could with the resources that they had. But it was part of that time when I don't think there was a real recognition of the importance of culture, particularly when you come from a different environment. So I was always kind of on the defensive as a kid. Um, you know, constantly afraid, um, you know, very wary, very shy and very quiet, which is really interesting considering, you know, who I, <laughs> who I became after I left home. But I think that's probably why. Music was my thing as a kid. Um, I loved music, classical music, and I played a bunch of instruments and wanted to go to the music conservatorium, but it wasn't on the cards for me. So I finished school at the end of year 10, which you could do back then. And because I started school early, I was only 15, started working in a supermarket, uh, left at six. Um, but I started modeling when I was about 10. So I've always done some kind of work. There's always been something that I've always done um, and some kind of performance as well, particularly with the music. Dukovic's upbringing was full of interesting experiences, which have shaped her into the woman she is today. However, looking back, some were definitely better than others. I think that sort of helped me to sort of come out of myself a little bit and had some kind of ownership of self. Um, but beyond that, there was a lot of insecurity, a lot of confusion um, and just kind of, you know, just going day by day, really close with my siblings, great relationship there, lots of love in the house, um, but just a very unusual town. A very unusual town, and I go, I go back now, and it's like when I when I see some of the kids that used to give me a really hard time. Thankfully, they've come back and they've recognised the error of their ways. But at the time when you're very young, um, the impact can actually be quite uh, devastating and and harsh. Um, I don't know if you've experienced, you know, or where you grew up, if you experienced a similar thing. But it, yeah, and and it's still interesting. Like even up until. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I um, experienced something which wasn't a direct form of racism, but it was an indirectly, and and I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes. I, I don't know if you are, but I go away and I went, I think she was just actually being really racist in it. And sometimes it can just be kind of really subdued and subtle. 
And and it was just like, oh, gosh, a poor thing. She didn't even know what she did. You know, and I, I kind of had empathy for her because, you know, I'm, at that stage I, it just doesn't faze me anymore. But um, it's just interesting how it's kind of, it's those little heat buttons, I call them, you know, they get pressed and it's like, oh, where did that come from? That was from there, you know, from back home. For Dukovic, the mixed bag of childhood was left in the past quickly. Her sense of adventure was just too strong. I was 16 when I left home, had $200 in my pocket and a place to stay for a couple of weeks. But the thing, um, it's an interesting question you ask because I, I wonder often if it's because I was the firstborn um, and also too with the challenges that um, we face because of my childhood story, if that actually created this level of self-sufficiency and inner strength within myself. Um, I look at all experiences, whether they're good or bad, and, you know, the, the impact that they have, and they can the impact can be good even though it was a bad experience, right? Um, and I, I can see that a lot of that has given me the ability to just be able to decide and do things for myself. I think the decision of leaving home when I was 16 was a key turning point in my life because if I had the courage to do that, that was a rep... It was my first big reference point is the way that I actually language it. So at anything sort of beyond that then was like, if I can do that, then I can do this. And then obviously then the next reference point became bigger and it became bigger and sort of went on from there. So um, I went to Sydney and I um, yeah, had somewhere to stay in Cronulla and then I got a job at McDonald's just to do something. And then I went to some modeling agencies and started getting some work. And then I started working in the hospitality industry and that was that was another huge turning point because at the age of 17, and I know that I was underage, but, you know, hoo-ha, um, it was the 80s. Um, I was working in a nightclub in Sydney, no longer exists now, but at the time in the 80s it was more the big celebrities used to come. And because of my personality type, I was put in charge of looking after them. And what I mean by that is, is because I, I think because I grew up in a little country town and probably only saw three movies before I left, hadn't had this kind of like big world view. It was just like, oh, you're a person. If you're going to be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And if you're not, I won't. It was just, you know, and so I wasn't phased by the celebrity. There were no mobile phones or, you know, social media or anything back then. It was just, and I just enjoyed their company and they enjoyed mine. And so I got, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with very successful people. Dukovic started to hone her business skills on some of the world's most fascinating people in the most exotic places. But in her mind, it was just work and in a way, they were just customers. And I was also very good at sales. I, I was able to get people to spend a lot of money on alcohol and I used to make a lot of money in tips. And um, and then when I was 19, I went to the, the US and I spent, you know, um, a good six months in uh, New York and again, you know, um, around this circle of people as well. And so it was just, you know, I, I guess to then the level of confidence that I created by being in their company. Look, I don't think I was consciously aware of it at the time, Tyrone, but sort of looking back as I, as I get asked these questions, it's like, yeah, I think that was that, you know, sort of making the connections. And and as a result of it, there was nothing really that I didn't think that I could do. Like I wanted to leave home, so I left. I wanted to go to the US, so I did. I wanted to work in nightclubs, so I did. I wanted to, you know, model, so I did. And it was just kind of like I'd make the decision and then I'd figure out how to do it. So I have this saying, 
a friend of mine, Chris, said it and he's given me permission to uh, to write a book using the title and I've bought the URL, just say yes and figure it out later. That's kind of my motto. So it's like I decide what it is that I want to do and then I work out how to make that happen as opposed to realising that I don't have the resources to do it so I can't. Coming up after the break, we hear more about Ludwina Dokovic's adventures, rubbing shoulders with the stars. So you'd remember George Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was a mate. Um, yeah, spend a bit of time with George. Uh, oh, Mel Gibson used to hang out at the cauldron quite a lot. Plus, an insider's view into starting your own business from your bedroom. So I started to learn a lot about tech because tech was just coming in. And I also wanted to do something that wasn't going to... Um, oh, sorry, that would help to keep my business brand alive that didn't require me to look good, feel good or go anywhere. So um, I started podcasting in 2010. I did my first audio podcast. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. Every job has its perks but some jobs are on another level. Dukovic's nightclub career seemed to have it all. I worked in, again, the coolest bar in New York at the time. <laughs> it's in Manhattan. It was like, you know, it was like 95% of the patrons were celebrities. So you'd remember George Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was a mate. Um, yeah, spend a bit of time with George. Uh, oh, Mel Gibson used to hang out at the cauldron quite a lot. Uh, crazy, crazy man, that one. Look, he had a um, bungalow in Clovelly, which um, at the time we live in Clovelly, so my housemate and I, so he would come to the cauldron when he came to Australia and then, um, you know, there was there was just, I always knew everyone that came to the place, but, you know, look, he, he was, it was at a time in his life where um, meeting uh, celebrities at the time in their life where they hit their peak is really quite interesting. Um and that happened uh, for Mel. The time I met Mel and his wife, he's come in with his wife as well. Um, you know, George had, George Michael had just, um, uh, was just on the cusp of coming out. So he was just sort of m- moving away from Wham at the time. I met Andrew Ridgely once as well. Um, but, the, you know, Julian Lennon was probably the one where I was, um, my first celebrities I met were Daryl Hall and John Oates. I had no idea who they were, and I can't, and I'll never forget it because my boss said, "Ludwina, you got country written all over your face," and I was like, "Okay, I don't know who Hall and Oates are." So, 
<laughs> I've got three records, Charles. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I met Julian Lennon, that was actually quite significant, and um, and that's where I met uh, my friend Carmine, who is a Carmine Rojas is, was his musical director, and Carmine was also the musical director for David Bowie World Glass Body Tour, all of Rod Stewart's tours, and then Carlos Alomar, who wrote all of almost of David Bowie's lead guitar riffs. Um, you know, I met him when he was touring with um, Bowie. So, you know, it was kind of that era. Look, I just enjoyed their company and they enjoyed mine and I learned a lot from it and I have lots of great stories and my kids go, yeah, 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 and, you know, but I know that they tell their mates. And my brothers, because I got I was able to get my brothers um, a lot of backstage passes and, you know, to concerts and stuff like that. So, you know, when we're all sitting around the fire in the country town, you know, around the big bonfire having drinks with all their mates, I go, oh, yeah, my sister got me into this concert and, you know, it's kind of all that. So, it's fun. At this point, you might be wondering just how Dukovic got into the business world, let alone the world of property. It's a transition that was unexpected for everyone but at the same time made perfect sense. I guess in a nutshell is apart from working in hospitality in my early years, I've actually been working for myself for 28 years. So I've uh, never had a day job. I think I would be classified as unemployable and I just love the idea of... um, creating a concept, seeing if there's a market for it, testing it, developing it, and then selling it. So I really like that creative process. I think it um, it fosters the creativity part of myself, but I also love the tech side of it because I'm quite analytical as well. So it sort of feeds both sides of who I am. When I first started, there was no internet, no mobile, no digital. So it was all back in the analog days. And I, um, after I had both of my children, I was uh, 20. 27 when I had my second one so my late 20s I decided I wanted to make a tv show just out of the blue like why not and I had no experience in production I left school at 15 left home at 16 I just had a lot of chutzpah and gumption and just decided it's what I wanted to do but what I did have was the ability to ignite my vision in a way that other people would come along for the journey And then I would find the people that had the skills that I needed to be able to fulfill that vision. And so that was really the first key moment that I realised I had that ability. And then from then on, you know, TV production and video production was a big part of my early career. Um, Had quite a lot of um, successes with that, particularly in a program where I was sponsored by Apple and Optus to run a program in schools that I ended up running in over 300 schools in Adelaide, Brisbane and Melbourne over a period of about five years. Um, so that was pretty phenomenal. That was called Media Minds. Again, that was back before digital came in and teachers had to teach media in grade five and six, but they weren't actually learning how to teach media at university. So I came in and I um, essentially created a program that covered up all of their curriculum standard framework for media and it was a wonderful experience for the kids. So that was uh, an interesting um, next part of that journey and then of course digital came in and then at that point I was in my early 30s, mid-30s maybe and I was uh, going through uh, quite a lot of personal changes and growth in my life and that was at the time when life coaching became a thing in Australia when it first became released and from there I thought, yep, this is something that I'm going to do next. And so I went into that, ended up then utilising that skill and my previous business and marketing abilities to then um, 
work with women in business. So women in business back then was just a a newly starting uh, phenomenon, I guess. While everyone has challenges to overcome to reach their goals, usually the hardest obstacles are outside of the mirror. Djokovic was faced with a different kind of fight. You kind of have to remember that when I first became a mother, the conversations were, uh, you know, should you be working outside of the home? (laughs) Um, And so as women started to develop businesses for themselves in um, from home, particularly, um, there was a lot of my skills that I had learned with juggling children as well as my own businesses that I was able to support them. So then I started a national women's events company, as you do, to get clients in. And, you know, that was an amazing experience. We had networking events running around the country. Um, and then uh, cancer became part of my journey at that, uh, <laughs> about five years into that, which I'm now 12 years cancer-free, so I'll just say that. But, yeah, but that was um, – I don't mean to be flippant about it, but that's another conversation in and of itself. But I was only 44 at the time, and when that occurred, I spent three, four years having surgeries. It was kidney cancer. I, I lost my kidney but then had to have a few repair surgeries as well. But um, – in that time, I had a lot of rest time, and in that rest time, I wanted to. I, I love learning, so I started to learn a lot about tech because tech was just coming in, and I also wanted to do something that wasn't going to. Um, oh, sorry, that would help to keep my business brand alive. That didn't require me to look good, feel good, or go anywhere. So um, I started podcasting in 2010. I did my first audio podcast, and that was back in the days when, yeah, I had to teach people how to download a podcast on iTunes. Hit number one half a dozen times, I think. I got screen grabs of it for evidence and knew and noteworthy, and then people started asking me, well, you know, how do you do it? Can you teach me? And then I started to realise, you know, if I hear something three or more times, there's something possibly something in it. So then I created the podcast masterclass. Then I had to have another surgery, and then I wrote a book on uh, digital and marketing, and the following year, I had to have another surgery, so I launched that book in digital and print worldwide. And then after that, I started to pick up, and then um, started working alongside some pretty significant people in the tech space. Um, my reputation through interviewing um, leaders in the tech industry through the podcast opened up a big, you know, platform for me and doors, as I imagine it has for you as well. And the knowledge that I gained, plus the connections and the relationships, then started to, you know, really develop my mind in ways that I had never really thought of before and led me more into then started to invest in tech and then work within tech companies as an advisor. Ludwina Dukovic's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. We'll hear more about the habits that have led to her success. And it was really interesting to to know that my number one strength is achievement. So I was just like, how can that be a strength? I, I was like, wow, that's why I feel so good. Every- what the future of Australia's market should look like if she has it her way. Whatever your personality and your partner's personality type is like, you want to feel like you can come home and still be that, right? that you don't feel like you have to change in the company of the other person who's there and vice versa. And that's next time on Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals? 
or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call.